I realized, oh crap, like I'm fit on the outside, but I'm dying on the inside. High inflammation, low testosterone, dysregulated thyroid, gut inflammation and gut issues and constipation. All these issues that technically somebody with like low body fat and muscles who can like run and lift weights, you wouldn't expect to have. But really true fitness is not about going to a little fake box at the beginning of the day and pushing you know fake heavy things around for an hour and then walking out and assuming that you're good to go. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you who come back every week to listen, learn, and grow. I am so deeply grateful for our trusted, committed community that shows up every week. And today's guest is someone that I met a few years ago now. We've been going back and forth trying to make this happen with both of our schedules, with the pandemic, with COVID, with everything else that's been going on. And I have to say that I'm pumped and I'm so excited that we're finally in the same room together. I'm talking about none other than human performance consultant, New York Times bestselling author, uh, self-experimenter, and one of the most wild, crazy, interesting, curious people that I know, Ben mm. Greenfield. Ben, thank you for being here. Thank Dude. you for showing up. And even just the few moments we spent together, I'm already looking forward it, to this. It's kind of bittersweet, <laughs> though, because like last time we hung out, we were eating wonderful Italian buffet-style five-star resort Sardinian food surrounded by amazing people and music and that, that whole... Was it Mind Valley? A was fest. it Mind Valley a University? Fest. It was yeah, it was it was awesomeness fest. A, yes. a fest. I don't think they even call it awesomeness fest anymore because that word's dated. <laughs> but yeah, they they, uh, they had like it was almost like a Disneyland in Sardinia, some giant resort. All I remember was the food was amazing, great parties, and then I met you. We were sitting at a at a, at a table at dinner, and you and I had never met before. And uh, Vishen Lakani was there, and he introduced us and. Then we thought about doing a podcast, and that was like two years ago. Literally three, and then yeah. I think finally, now. the other side of the world, we finally hook up. But yeah, Sardinia. You know what was interesting about that? Like Sardinia is well known as being a longevity hotspot, mm -hmm. right? Like Nicoya Lisa. and yeah. Loma Linda and Okinawa. You know, one of these so-called blue zones. Even though there's some controversy about the whole blue zones and whether or not the the demographic data was accurate or whatever. But either way, like people live a long time there. Like, we yeah. Know that. But when you look at the populations that they studied in Sardinia, it was a lot of the old people up in the Dolomites, right, who were, you know, hiking up hills with their goat's milk and their wine and eating, you know, small cold water fish and herbs and spices and teas and living this like outdoor lifestyle combined with social relationships and love and all these things that, that we know now feed uh, a, a good, not just health span, but lifespan. And then we got to Sardinia. So that was like the picture I had painted in my mind. But then when we got to Sardinia, we weren't like up in the craggy hills with like old Italian people drinking table wine over small, you know, fish and tea up in the mountain somewhere. This was like a full on like five star resort with like golf carts and <laughs> and like man-made beaches inside giant walls. And so it was interesting for me. I kept wanting to slip away, like up into the Dolomites yeah, and be yeah. like, okay, well, this is interesting, but what's kind of like the non-touristy side like? Yeah. Regardless though, the, the the food I think was amazing and probably uh, 
probably something the the longevity enthusiasts up in the mountains would have killed to get yeah absolutely on, so. <laughs> we were we, i think we were i hope we were eating seasonally i think we kind of sort of <laughs> i think it was seasonally slash what the locals there thought would kind of impress impress the, people from, yeah yes yeah, yeah but but i mean like you know i've eaten in italy before I guess more like the locals. Yeah. So my wife and I, early on in our marriage, we flew into Rome and didn't have a lot of money. It was either senior year of college or right after we both graduated. And so this was back in the day when I had to like fax all my reservations in and my credit card number to the to the different places that we wanted to stay and stuff. But our our harebrained idea was we wanted to rent bikes in Rome and just like zigzag ride them all the way up to Florence. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. We rented bikes, but I planned ahead and mapped out the whole route. And so I would fax my reservations into these agricolas, you know, which are like farm stays where you stay with these Italian families out at their farm or like little hostels um, or beds and breakfasts. Cause that's basically what we had the money to afford. And so we, we got into Rome, we start riding, and basically because I'd already prepaid for all these reservations by faxing them in, it was come hell or high water, we had to get to where we were going that day. And most days were like 35 to 50 miles of riding, which isn't a whole lot, but these are like heavy touring bikes with, with panniers on either side, these bags where you keep all of your belongings, your clothing, your toiletries, whatever. And inevitably as the trip goes on and we like, buy wine and buy cheese and buy souvenirs. These bikes would get heavier and heavier as we'd go. Every city there is built on top of a hill, you know, like an old medieval village with walls yeah. and you got to climb a hill. So every day at the end of the day, the very last thing we'd do when our legs were already toast was just climb, climb, climb to the top of these hills and then hunt down, you know, wherever we'd actually put in a reservation to stay at. But I remember the most special thing was it was every single day you'd finish, you were sweaty, you were tired, your legs were aching, and you knew that there was a homemade Italian meal with some table wine that rivals, you know, a $50 glass of wine you'll buy here in the U.S. and and wonderful people and, and smiles and, um, and, and, and a bed to stay in. And I, I just remember every single day riding up those hills thinking, Gelato, homemade ravioli, <laughs> red wine. You got this, Ben. You can do this. And it was it was a cool trip. We got all the way up to Florence. We we put our bikes on a train and then just took the train back down to Rome and flew home. So now I have uh, you know years and years later, I have twin thirteen year old sons, and when they're fifteen, so year and a half or two from now, we're going to replicate that trip. We're going to take that. them back. So now I've got them kind of starting to train and learn how to be comfortable on the roads. You know, like the Italian roads have no shoulders, yes. right? So you got to know to handle your bike on roads and know how to ride a big fat touring bike instead of a road bike. And so that's going to be really, I'm super looking forward to that. It's like that's the next trip to Italy is going to be with my boys riding through the, through the Italian fields and, and uh, hunting down Florence again. That's a beautiful plan. I love hearing them and they're, they're lucky boys. And I, I remember that as a young man, my parents would drive us to Italy. That was their favorite place in Europe. So we would drive from London, we'd mm -hmm. get the ferry into France. And then from France, we would drive again to Italy. So we'd oh, drive wow. to Venice, we'd drive to Naples, we'd drive to Rome. We'd, yeah. we'd just drive to a different place and we'd drive across Italy uh, because we didn't have the money to fly there. And my yeah. parents preferred doing a road trip. And 
we, we didn't get on any bikes or anything like that. But even what you were saying, like, I was going to say weak, weak family. If you guys were, 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 were real, you would have taken bicycles. Yeah. Yeah. Were, yeah. So, you would have, if you, you, you would have taken a bike if from London, bike, to, bike from London to Italy. Yeah, yeah. No, we were like eight years old and, yeah. and our parents. Wow. but, but I have good memories of visiting Italy with my parents as well. So yeah. I can only imagine how your boys are going to feel when they I, go. With I think you. they'll do. My only concern is the girls. Cause I got like two 13 <laughs> year old to be 15 by then. Like, blonde-haired, blue-eyed American boys <laughs> and just having taken my wife there and seen the reaction to, you know, my wife's blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, the men there are very, very forward. And oh, the uh, cat calling as she walks down the street. Oh, wow. Then when I took my sons to Thailand a couple of years ago, same thing, like all the Thai people just flock around them and then the women are practically swooning as these little blonde-haired <laughs> boys walk through the streets. So we may have to bring bring some fly swatters to keep the, keep the women <laughs> off of them. But. I love it, man. I yeah. love it. I, I, my first memory of you actually was in Sardinia. I knew you were going to be there. We were, we were both speaking at the conference and, you know, I was learning about you and learning about your world. I was, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a biohacker. That's not my background in, in the same sense as you are. And so I was intrigued and I, I loved your sessions that you did. But my first experience of you was we had an evening party and it was like this, we were on this bridge, if you remember, at the hotel and yeah. you literally jumped in oh, to like the hotel that. lake slash pool. It was, and the reason why I say lake is because it wasn't like a swimming pool. We have to, I've got to give Ben credit. It was, and it was evening, so it was, it was cooler. And you dived in and you swam and you yeah. got out and you, you made your, and we were just, we were all like, wow, that is, that is the way to enter I, it. So I, I always remember uh, this. Yeah. You remember it? Yeah. 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 And that, that was, that was early on in the trip. Uh, honestly, dude, I love water. I know you like, do. I'm at home in water. I, you know, I, I competed for years in open water yes. swimming and Ironman triathlon and, and the biking and the running was okay, but I did. And I still do just yeah. love you could see that i love the water i love the ocean i love spearfishing i i'm i'm not a big water man uh, in terms of like surfing and kiteboarding and things like that because i don't really have that up in washington state so i can't practice it and i tend not to really be passionate about the things i i suck at because <laughs> so, i can't practice them um but but yeah i think water is almost like woven into my dna somehow because my dad you know his all of his side comes from australia mm. and i'm a big believer in the fact that that we do carry a lot of things epigenetically in our dna not only trauma but also the things that our ancestors were good at or love to do you know my, my son river dreams a lot about snow and ice and finland and trekking up snowy mountains in the cold and it's interesting because my wife, Jessa's whole side is like Northern European, wow. you know, up in the area around Finland and Estonia and, and, um, and Switzerland, and, you know, and, and some of these more like snowy white places. And it's funny that that's like a repeating dream that he has. And I suspect that it's just, it's woven into his DNA in the same way that a love for water is, is woven into my DNA. And I'm, I'm actually super excited because right before I left to come down here to LA, I received a package in the mail. This company called uh, uh, Finis sent me these headphones that you can attach to your goggles and they're bone conducting headphones, meaning that you can listen to stuff while you're swimming or while you're under the water or while wow. you're spearfishing or whatever. So they conduct the sound through the bones on either side of your head rather than your ears, right? Wow. So you don't have to worry about like the wires and everything. And then they sent me these goggles 
that have like an in-screen display as you're swimming that show you how many strokes you've taken and how far you've gone. <laughs> so, it, you know, perhaps it'll just suck all the enjoyment of swimming out of me yeah. because sometimes excess technology can do that. But, you know, just water toys like that, That's I absolutely beautiful. love. And we live, we don't live near water where yeah. I live. We live on about 10 acres of isolated forest land wow. up in Washington state, which is great. You know, we have, we have goats and these cute little Nigerian dwarf goats and, Icelandic chickens and and a bunch of garden beds and all sorts of like old growth forest where there's all sorts of wild plant edibles like you know mint and plantain and nettle and white-tailed deer and turkey and coyote and it, it's it's a great place but there's no there's water. no water right there so now I'm building this this natural pond and then just to to scratch my swimming itch, I got one of those those swim pools that's oh, yeah. like it's like twenty feet long, yes, but it yes, has yes. a super hard jet. Yes, and you attach like a um, it's like an elastic band to your waist, exactly and you can swim about. against what the current. What are they current. called? There's a name for those pools. My, mine one's yeah. called an Aqua Fitness. You know, it's the ones you see Michael Phelps advertising in the back of airplane magazines, yeah. you know, like that, that kind of thing. But then I keep mine because I'm a huge fan of like the power of cold thermogenesis yes. and cryotherapy for. You know, just for fat loss and, and your nervous system health and your cellular resilience. I, I think most people live in the comfort of temperature too much. Mm -hmm. And when we look at longevity data, when we look at health data, when we look at nervous system and cellular resilience, constant exposure or, can, or, or regular exposure to stresses of heat and stresses of cold is so good for the mm -hmm. human body. So I have, a, I have a sauna and then I have this pool, but I keep it cold. Yeah. What I mean by that is I don't heat it. Yes. Right, so in the summer, yeah, I'll, I'll swim at like 60 degrees or whatever it gets up to. Then in the winter, I'll go out there and swim and it'll be like almost break through the ice temperatures. But I get in that thing almost every day and swim. And that's and it just puts a big smile on my face. Yeah, I've been going water. to this place called Pause in West Hollywood. Yeah, because I know I live, Yeah, so I've yeah. been going there every week with my wife. There are float tanks there too. Yeah, so yeah. we go there every Saturday and we do the sensory deprivation tanks for about an mm -hmm. hour. And then we'll both go and do three cycles of the sauna and cold plants together yeah. for another hour. You feel like a million bucks and it's afterwards. Just, we do it every yeah. Saturday morning. It's our, become our morning routine ritual yeah. on Saturday. We wake up, once we've done our meditation, 10 a.m. we head over. And then 10 a.m. to noon, we're there. And Amazing. it's just been, so, I, I, and you know, I've, I've heard that for a long time. And as monks, we took cold showers. We, mm -hmm. you know, we were in India, so it was, it was hot plenty of the time. So you always experienced uncomfortable amounts of heat, but doing that since I've been back where my body has acclimatized, acclimatized to wanting a more comfortable temperature and mm -hmm. the temperature at home is always perfect. But also I've started sleeping at like 66, 67 Fahrenheit. And yeah. that, even though it was cooler in the beginning, that kind of sleep temperature has really helped. And yeah. you wake up sometimes feeling cold, but I can notice that that's doing some good for my body too. Sleep, sleeping in the cold, the the effects of that on on the, the positive effects on sleep architecture have always been surprising to me, because um, it, it, it's, it's such simple low hanging fruit. When, when you look at sleep hygiene, right, we have light as being one component of sleep hygiene. So what I mean by that is your sleep cycle begins in the morning, meaning that the more sunlight the more of these like, you know, if you're looking at this from more of a biohacking standpoint, like the infrared light panels that you can use to simulate sunrise in your office that you can shine on your whole body or an infrared sauna or these, these blue light boxes that they sell for desktops that are used for seasonal affective disorders, you know, or of course sunlight being, you know, the top of the totem pole for any of this stuff, like blasting yourself with light in the morning. 
combined with turning your room into a just a light cave at night. Like yeah. I've replaced all the cans in our bedroom with yeah. red incandescent bulbs instead of LED or modern fluorescent lighting. So that's for the late evening before that, you that's, turn off. So tonight. my master bedroom, my son's bedroom, and our mas and, and our master bathroom are all red incandescent bulbs. No, all no regular bulbs. Like whenever you all, turn on the yeah, light. all red. No dimmers because dimmers, and we're kind of getting into the weeds a little bit here, but dimmer switches on lights they cause a lot more what is called uh, dirty EMF or, or a high amount of wow. non-native electricity that doesn't jive well with, with human cellular function. And so we don't use dimmers, but we just replaced all the cans with red incandescent. The reason for incandescent being that even though they're, they're slightly bigger power hogs on the electrical supply, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It might be an extra 10, 15 bucks on your electrical bill every right. month. So it's, it's, yeah, it's nothing too big to worry about. Yeah, yeah. But they also, um, they, they simulate the natural red spectrum of sunlight and the same as our ancestors might have experienced during torchlight oh, or wow. firelight at night. So all of, the, all of the bedrooms, anywhere where there would be a sleeping place or a place where you might get up to pee at night, it's all red incandescent. And then all of the computers, like my son's computer, my wife's computer, my computer... We have a program installed on that called Iris, and Iris just kind of sucks all the all the high temperature light out of the computer screen at a specific time of day. So it's very eye friendly as the night. And comes you can in. have that on your phone as well. Or? Uh, no, but for the for the phone, so I do Iris on the computer, and then for the television. Even though we don't watch much television, I have a box installed on that called a Drift Box that decreases all the blue light from the television. And then for the phone, obviously a lot of phones have built-in native night mode, but for the iPhone in particular, which is what I use, you can Google um, iPhone red light trick yes. and you can actually set your iPhone so it literally just like sucks all of the blue light out of the phone and turns it dark red, kind of like how a lot of people who will do a dopamine fast yes, will switch yeah. their phone to black and white for a week, yeah. which I think is a great idea. Um, th this will, will switch it to red. And so you combine all those factors along with preferably, and I'll do this a lot of time when I travel because I just don't have as much say over mm -hmm. the light bulbs in the hotel room or whatever, where the blue light blocking glasses, right? Yes. At night, especially. And so basically you're just blasting yourself with natural and blue light in the morning and then complete absence of that same light at night. You want to get as close to just what would looking at fire look yeah. like at night. Yeah. So, so light is one and it's interesting because light can also be used to shift your circadian rhythm backwards or forwards. So let's say we weren't sitting here in LA. Let's say we were in New York, right? And so um, my wake time in New York being, you know, let's say 6 a.m. would dictate that if I were back home on Pacific time, that's like 3 a.m. And if I'm in New York for a week, when I get back home to Pacific time, my body's all of a sudden waking up at 3 a.m., mm -hmm. which is annoying and problematic. And I don't want to get up at 3 a.m. because mm -hmm. there's not a lot, a whole lot going on. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a total fan. Like, I'm an early morning guy. Like, same, I usually get up 4.30 or 5. Yeah. But 3 is pushing the envelope. 3 is <laughs> like you're dead by 11 a.m. Yeah, totally. You don't want to talk to people and you need a nap. And so anyways, the trick there is when you're waking up at 3 a.m., if you do wake up and you have to get out of bed and you just, you, you just, you're gonna get up, you're gonna maybe, whatever, go do some yoga or read a book or whatever, you trick your body into thinking it's still nighttime by keeping your phone in night mode, by not turning on any lights in the house, by putting those blue light blocking glasses that most people wear at night on mm -hmm. in the morning instead. 
And when the time rolls around, when you actually want to send a message to your body that this is the new time to wake up, like let's say that's 6 a.m., then you flip on all the lights and you (laughs) blast the body with light. And after two to three days of doing that, it's remarkable at how quickly you can shift your circadian rhythm backwards or forwards using light. And again, kind of like back to the whole biohacking realm, there are even, in addition to those light-producing boxes that you can put on top of your desk, they make uh, ones that you can put in your ears. They look like headphones. They're called a human charger, and they blast your 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 head with this blue light in either ear. Wow. And then there's also a pair of glasses that you can use called so You don't called even need re-timers. to see that light. Your entire body is a light receptor machine. Yeah. And that's interesting because you could wear a sleep mask at night, but if your room's really light, like if you don't have blackout curtains or just or there's lots of blinking things in the room or you yeah. walk into a hotel and you turn off the lights and all of a sudden it looks like a spaceship because <laughs> the TV and the Wi-Fi and everything. Like even if your eyes are covered, all that stuff hits your skin. Wow. So when I say dark in the room, yeah. like I make sure it's really yeah, super yeah. dark. But you were talking about temperature too. Obviously temperature, is that's like the second component mm-hmm. of sleep hygiene. So with temperature... I, I think you said you're doing what, like 65, 66? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. That I find, because I, you know, I, I coach some people still for, for their health and for their sleep and everything. So I, I get to look at a lot of data from, from an aura ring or from a whoop yes. or whatever wearable somebody is using. And I've identified that about 63 to 65 Fahrenheit is even better. Like if, if you Got get, it. So and, even a bit lower. Yeah. Then, yeah. My metric is if you're one of those people who, and I think this is a good idea for staying cold, who likes to take off all their clothes before they get into bed at night or sleep in your underwear. Mm-hmm. If you have mild cognitive resistance to taking off your clothes at night before you get into bed because it's a little chilly, that's a pretty good sleep temp. Mm. Right. So for me, it's like if it's a little chilly when I take my clothes off, yeah. that's perfect. And then um, in addition to that, I actually have this this um pad underneath the top sheet of my bed it's called a chili pad and it circulates like 55 degree cold water under my body while i'm <laughs> sleeping my wife doesn't do most of the stuff that so I you do just have a new half yeah the shoemaker's wife wears no shoes dude so i just don't bug her about it. i let her yeah. do her thing she likes to garden and hang out with the goats and chickens and go on walks and so she just does her thing and I don't force anything on her because I I know what will happen down the line. If I, if I want to give my wife health advice, I'll tell one of my friends who's a doctor. I'll be like, text this to Jessa. And then they text it to her because I just, I just know She's going to know now when she watches this. No, because that's the thing is she also doesn't. She's not going to she watch this. She, she wouldn't even know how to download a podcast. So yeah, right. that's, that's just who she is. Right. So anyways, though, so I have the chili pad on my side and I can, and, and my sons both have one too and they love it. We all like... So we have these big, glorious family dinners at night. And like right before dinner, all of us boys run upstairs and turn on our chili pads <laughs> so we can sleep better. So the bed's already cold when we get into it. Um, another thing that you can do, and it's a little bit paradoxical, but it actually works, is you can pull on wool socks before you go to bed at night. And when your feet are warm, there's these little uh, vessels are called anastomosis or something like that. But, but it actually allows the rest of your body to stay cool when you warm some of those tiny vessels in the hands and the leg. So you'd think wearing wool socks to bed would yeah, keep we- you warm. But just like wear wool socks and little else, and you can actually cool the body with that method too. Um, and then finally regarding cold – you don't mind me just geeking out on all no, this. No, this is beautiful. I, feel, I, I love feel like this. I'm just going no, no, on, and we did, we yeah, dive into sleep. Okay. Sleep's like, going to be everybody everyone, needs to sleep. Everyone's so going to try this out, yeah, yeah because yeah. I mean, you know, sleep's something that everyone's struggling oh, with. Oh yeah, so it's, it's I'm it's very so, happy. It's with. so critical. Please geek out. So the um I'm the the thing with the um the the cold is that if you do kind of like break the rules 
because there's all these rules now that all the scientists in their institutions have come up with that are annoying us. Like you're not supposed to work out hard within three hours of bedtime and you're not supposed to eat a heavy meal within three hours prior to bedtime, which for me can be socially problematic because I love to have big glorious family dinners with people and go out on the town and visit new restaurants. And I mean, how often, let's say you're going to bed at 10, how often are you really going to be done with all that? Like seven, yeah, like, yeah. unless you're just like a total, I don't know, just a, boring social outcast uh sorry to all the people who aren't eating dinner but basically it's not that hard you just get the body's core temp back down so if it's the winter and i finish a dinner i'll go for a brisk walk outside in the cold weather and if it is uh the summer or warmer season just like a lukewarm or a cold shower before you go to bed like my sons and i just went down and watched the fights down in vegas when it was like 115 degrees on the strip and we'd walk every night and we'd walk home from the fights and the shows and everywhere we went and every night before I get into bed, you know, there's a little bit of resistance to this, but that's okay. You can, you can, you, you can, um, overcome the resistance, but just take a cold shower before yeah. you get into bed. And that helps to lower the core temp. If you have had to exercise or you've had a heavy meal in those three hours prior to bedtime. Mm -hmm. So, You've got the light and you've got the cold, both mm -hmm. the ambient temperature and then your sleep surface and then your body itself that you mm -hmm. keep cold. The, the other two that you want to think about for sleep in addition to light and cold, uh, the first is noise. And in the city, this is a bigger issue. But I mean, even I, I've got roosters that like to get up kind of early because they're naturally programmed yeah, to yeah. wake you up. Um, and I've got, um, I, I live out in the forest, but there's a road nearby that sometimes semis go down and I can hear off in the distance the like the braking, like the, you know, when semis go downhill. So I wear earplugs, like just soft wax earplugs to bed but then they've actually done studies on the different forms of ambient noise that help you to sleep at night. You know, they make like sleep machines that mm -hmm. will make white mm -hmm. noise and brown noise. And, and one of the forms of noise that they make is pink noise. And pink noise, it appears, is the best background noise to have playing in the what background. Is pink? I've never even heard sleep. of that. It's just like, a, I don't know why they give colors to certain noises, but yeah. it's, the, it's the frequency and the pitch of that right. noise. So I've got an app on my phone called Sleep Stream. I think it was free or the cost was was incidental, but it's got all these different like sleep tracks on it. And I don't I don't use anything on it except the pink noise function. So my phone goes in airplane mode next to my bed, and then I push pink noise on and I put the earplugs in, and then I'm covering up all those ambient sounds. That technique works a lot better when I'm traveling, when wow. I'm staying in a hotel near busy roads. Yes. When I'm when I have a roommate or something like that, if I'm at a conference and I'm sharing a room with somebody and they're yeah. getting up early or they're going to bed late. <laughs> so the sound is another component, especially mm -hmm. if you're a light sleeper. Mm -hmm. And then the final component is safety. And a lot of people don't think about the safety component. So your bed should be a place where from from a nervous system standpoint, you're not wired up in work mode. Your sympathetic nervous system is not activated. If anything, the bed is almost like an anchor that activates mm -hmm. the parasympathetic nervous system. Well, if you are one of those people who has business books on your nightstand, or maybe you open your laptop up at night or really at any other time during the day, that would give your body the impression that the bedroom or the bed particularly is an appropriate place to work. I would say even that television, just because psychologically, you know, we as humans are still hardwired to see that television and it's as though a whole bunch of other people and other experiences are in your bedroom. Mm. Not to mention the fact that there's some really interesting data that television can replace dreaming. 
right? Mm. So essentially, we live now in an era for the past several decades where all of the colors and imagery and imagination and visualization and creativity that your brain should be churning out during sleep at night to process memories and to process trauma and to process creativity, a lot of that can be replaced by staring at a television before you go to bed at night. So I, I don't have a TV in the bedroom for those reasons and also for the light reasons and also for the reason that I want my body to associate the bed with pretty much nothing yeah. but sleep and sex and then I'll keep a boring book or a work of fiction mm -hmm. next to the bedside. Mm -hmm. Now, I used to, when I'd get to a hotel room, I would just like, you know, plop on, some, especially a small hotel room, like a suite, usually you've got more than enough room, but you know, the small hotel rooms, a little crappy workstation in the corner or whatever, if that, I'd just like plop on my stomach on the bed and open up my laptop. You know, I think a lot of people know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, you know, just lay there on your belly and work on the laptop because it's a comfortable spot to do yeah. that. And the problem is that sends your body this 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 yeah. cognitive signal that the bed is the place where you work. So now I always make sure my laptop, even in a single room hotel room, is not in the bed. And that sends the body a message that the bed is a safe place, not a workplace, not a stressful place, not an email jumping out from your computer place. And if you really want to take that safety thing one step further, this has become quite popular now, this idea of gravity blankets, meaning folks will sell like these 10, 15, 20, or 25 pound gravity blankets. Yeah. And it sounds like it would be totally paradoxical to what I was saying about staying cool because it sounds heavy. Yeah. But a lot of a lot of folks are doing a good job making like a gravity blanket that will stay cool. That one company I was talking about, Chili Pad, they even sell a gravity blanket that will like circulate cold water through the blanket. But there's something about very similar to like how when you were swaddled as a baby, you felt protected and you felt like you were in this this quiet yeah. cave. It's that feeling when you pull on the gravity blanket. And so when you combine all that stuff, the light, the cold, management of sound, and then presence of safety in the bedroom, you create a, 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 real, a real, real nice nest for getting those hours that are arguably the only hours during your life, You know, arguably that third of your life that your nervous system should be repairing, that your body should not be wired up to have everything activated, that you shouldn't be exposed to like lots of electrical signals. And I'm not one of those guys who's like, I don't know, like go full on, move up to the mountains, don't use internet, cut yourself off from everything. But it appears that the issue with constant exposure to all these electrical signals that our bodies from an ancestral standpoint haven't been exposed to for thousands of years is the fact that the cells don't get a break, mm -hmm. right? So when we're looking at Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and the constant opening of what are called calcium channels in the cell that allow a whole bunch of ions to spill into the cell that disrupt metabolism or that give you brain fog later on in the day, that's actually all pretty repairable. The body's actually pretty impressive and magical in terms of how quickly it can bounce back from certain things just in the same way that it could recover from a hard exercise session and remove all those muscle fibers or repair all those muscle fibers if you give it rest, yeah. if you give it recovery. The, the, the thing is, it's the same thing with electrical exposure. Like if you can turn your bedroom into a safe, quiet, cool place that also doesn't have a whole bunch of plugged in, like Wi-Fi routers and phones, et cetera, you're all of a sudden giving your, your cells a chance to just go, oh, it's like when people camp, you know, yeah. they just cut off from all that stuff. They feel great when they come back. So it's not as though you have to live like a Luddite. It's yeah. that sometimes you have to press the pause button 
give your body a chance to step away from all that electricity for just, you know, that those seven or eight hours or however long you're in there and then emerge back out repaired and ready to, to tackle the day again. Yeah. That's it. You just told everyone how to make their bedroom into a sanctuary. That was a sanctuary. Yeah. Yes, that's what it sounded like yeah. the way you were describing it. I was just yeah. like, and that's what it has to be. A sanctuary it, is safe. A sanctuary yeah, is the It has to be. Like, and I, th yeah. I think a lot of people beat themselves up too because, you know, there's a lot of really great sleep researchers out there now. Yeah. You know, you've got guys like Matthew Walker and Nick Littlehales and um, gosh, who, who else? There's another, another person who's been doing a lot of work on sleep. Michael Bruce is another guy. But over and over again, what you see is you're supposed to sleep seven to nine hours yes. a night. And yeah. a lot of people feel bad because they don't. They don't and I felt bad for the longest time because I didn't. And I'm like, what am I going to like die of cancer early? Or am I, am I going to, you know, is my body going to fall apart? Am I, am I going to like accelerate aging? Because I just, I've, I've got too much going on. Or my body just like, my eyes open wide at like 430 and I just want to go crush the day, mm -hmm. right? Which, mm -hmm. which I think many people who are dialed into perhaps some of the things that you talk about, like your ikigai, your life's purpose, your your plan de vida. You know, speaking of Sardinia, yeah. you know, this idea of your purpose for life. Well, if you have a really strong purpose for life, sometimes you wake up in the morning and you're just like, "Baby, <laughs> let's go, bring it on." Yeah, yeah. And for me, you know, with our big glorious family dinners, and and I read my son's stories at night, and I play the music on the guitar. And I'll make love to my wife and read some fiction. So, you know, even with all that, I can usually do a pretty good job being close to asleep by 10. Yeah. But getting up at 4, 4.30, that's six to six and a half hours. Mm -hmm. So the thing is that if you do that, but also you take a nap, like a post-lunch siesta, for example, mm -hmm. uh, the, the siesta, even if it's like 20 to 45 minutes long, can simulate what you get out of a full 90 minute-ish sleep cycle. So the way that I live my life is I sleep six to six and a half hours a night and then like clockwork after lunch every day, or if I have a meeting after lunch, sometimes it's slightly later in the afternoon. I try not to push it too close to bedtime because you want some sleep drive yeah, going into the night. I take a nap. I take a long? siesta. For me, it's 20 to 45 minutes. Wow. I, I do kind of, this is where some of the biohacking comes in. I'm like, okay, I got 20 <laughs> to 45 I minutes. I want to make this effective. Yeah. So what I do is, A, I have something similar to like that sensory deprivation float tank mm -hmm. that you use down at Pause. Yeah. I actually had a float tank for a while, but it was too much upkeep for me. I can I got, imagine, I got yeah. rid of it. The magnesium. It's just, and yeah, it's just uh, like yeah. my whole basement looked like a freaking pool house. So... <laughs> I have what's called a hyperbaric chamber, mm -hmm. which is like this chamber that they use in hospitals for repairing wounds and, um, and, and they'll use it for like cardiovascular problems and increasing red blood cells. And it pressurizes you at about what's called 1.4 atmosphere. So it's like you're 23, 25 feet under the ocean, you with the pressure, but then you're breathing pure oxygen. And so the combination of the pure oxygen plus the pressure drives that oxygen into the tissue, accelerates repair, you know, clears the brain. I mean, even if you weren't napping in it, you feel amazing when you get out. And so I climb in that and I like it too because I have to zip myself up and it's kind of like nobody can get to me. It even takes like three minutes to decompress <laughs> me. So if the house caught on fire, I'd be kind of screwed. But I, I climb into that. So I'm just like, I'm locked off from the world, mm -hmm. right? And then I, I have a couple of technologies that I use. One is called a, a HAP-B, 
Oh yeah, it's I've like seen those, have you yeah. seen this? It's I've super cool. Me, yeah, I've, I've been messing around with it for like five months now. It it uses a magnetic signal that simulates the same molecular signal of a few choice compounds. Like for simulating wakefulness, you could choose like the caffeine setting, the nicotine setting. Uh, for for it's got like an alcohol setting. Uh, well, what's or, it doing? So basically, all it does is it causes your cells to respond as though that particular molecule were attached to the cell receptor without you actually ingesting a compound or taking a supplement or consuming something that's going to stay in your system for a long period of time. So let's say I want a wakey-wakey prior to going out to a, to a dinner party. I could put it in coffee mode, right? Put that around my neck or around my head, get that, that hit wakefulness producing hit of caffeine but then when i take it off it's not like the caffeine's still floating around in my system same thing with a nap so what i like so it's in your system only for as long as right it's just it it, it's as though i were blasting you with the electrical signal of coffee without you actually having to drink the coffee which has a half-life of you know whatever six or eight or ten hours depending on on how you're you're you're, you're genetically wired up. So it's really cool. And I didn't really believe, you know, I'll interview yeah. a lot of people on my podcast. I'm like, yeah, that's a little woo. But then I tried it and it actually works surprisingly well. So I put it in, my, my preferred mode for nap is the one that's, uh, it's, it's called relax, but it mimics CBD. Right. Which is, which yes. is nice for me. Um, because it, it just kind of, you know, settles down some racing thoughts, gets me down at the end of the day. So I put that on and then, I also have this other device that works kind of similarly, but instead of using a magnetic signal, it vibrates and it's a it's a tiny vibration that elicits a brainwave signal that could be like an alpha brainwave signal or a kind of more like a hyped up beta brainwave signal or a deep relaxation like theta or delta brainwave signal. And that's called an Apollo. And that also, similar to the Hat B, has like a wakefulness mode, a social mode. I even put that that Hat B one, which also has an alcohol mode on it. I, I gave it to my son who wanted to try it out at dinner one night. And it was in like social alcohol mode. He got like super funny and he was joking. <laughs> he was really relaxed. Then as soon as I took it off of him, he was just normal again. That as, quick. You know, I wasn't giving my son actual alcohol. Yeah. This, this was just like simulating yeah. the effects. So I put the the Apollo in relax mode. I put the Hat B in relax mode and, and I climb into that hyperbaric chamber and then I've got like lavender essential oil in there and I, I lay back and then I play this this track and I I, I discover a lot of things through podcasting. Mm-hmm. Half the stuff I learn is from talking to people I'm who learning are like right now. I mean, super like, duper yeah. smart who'd normally never give me the time of day. And I get to pick the brains of these scientists well, you're and doing physicians that for me and today, physiologists so. for like for like <laughs> 90 minutes twice a week. So it's way better than my college education, just talking to all these people and find out what works and what doesn't. But a couple of years ago, I interviewed this guy who has a company called New Calm. Yes. And, yeah, and yeah. New Calm has an app that that plays special signals and this sounds like like eight billion other apps out there that will play like relaxing signals at night there are a dime a dozen on the app store but this one in particular it just seems to work for me most notably in in the way that i can put it on like 20 minutes and i i'm dead to the world within like two minutes of that thing playing I'll wake up at the 20 minute mark and this feel like I've slept noise. like an hour. Else. This is something else. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I asked the guy when I interviewed him, well, you know, could this just replace like the pink noise that I play at night? And he said, no, 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 don't do that because it pushes you through a sleep cycle so well that if you put it on to sleep at night, you'd, you'd go through your sleep cycle from let's say like 10 to 1130, then you'd wake up wide awake at night, mm. right? So this is something that's better in my opinion for naps 
The other time I'll sometimes use it is if I wake up, let's say at like 3.34 and I want to snag an extra 30, 40 minutes of sleep or whatever, I'll put it on that. So I do the nap with the Apollo, the Hat B, the Hyperbaric, the the oil, and then the um, that, that Hat B. And even though I'm sleeping six to six and a half hours a night, I get up from that nap and I'm kind of groggy for like, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. But what I do is I go and I jump in that cold pool, <laughs> right? And then I'll, I'll have some kind of stimulant. Like I'll just pop a piece of nicotine gum or, you know, have a little leftover coffee from the night before, whatever. And then boom, like it's like I have a second day. Wow. I feel amazing. I'm fully present with my family that night at dinner. Whereas if I push through that afternoon slog, yeah, it's yeah, just kind of like, yeah, yeah. it's a dinner and you're just kind of like, I can't wait until bedtime. Yeah, and I yeah. don't like that feeling personally. I'm, I'm just impressed at your charging skills. Like you must have the most organizing charging schedule for all these devices. What's it? Oh, oh, like they all need to be charged. They all need to be like, I'm impressed. Like most people can't even charge their phone. You're like here. Yeah. It's kind of um, seven hmm. devices. So it's amazing. And and I mean that genuinely, I'm not just, yeah, I've got one charging station in the dining room that I just kind of keep everything plugged into. Um, So yeah, I've got like four or five devices that I'm kind of charging during the day. Or the reason that I plug them in is not because they have a low battery life and they need to be charged. And this is important for people to know. Yeah. Any of these devices or anything I try, I have a hard and fast rule that it must be able to be placed in airplane mode yes. for the reasons that I stated earlier. Yes. So if somebody's like trying to, to trying to like sell me or have me try like some crazy new sleep system, you know, mattress self-quantification device or whatever, one of the first questions I ask is, well, can I disable the Wi-Fi or yeah. can I put it in airplane mode? So that during the time I'm using it, especially for rest, I'm yeah. not getting bombarded by signals. I'm so happy and, you brought this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so most of them can, but the problem is when you place a device in airplane mode, typically to reconnect it to your phone, because most of these are run via some kind of an app on your phone, you have to plug it back into a yeah. charger. To, and that like, I'm, I'm not an engineer. It takes, it yeah. takes out airplane mode, basically. Yeah. And so a lot of times I do have to like plug things in, you know, get up from my nap, plug the happy and the Apollo in. So they're ready for the next day. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, there, there are ways, especially in our day and age that you can definitely get by without just swallowing hook, line and sinker, you know, that the eight to nine hours of sleep a night message, like there's a lot of ways around it. Yeah. Tell me about a time, Ben, when like for you, this, you know, you've always been athletic. You, you, you are an athlete. You've been an athlete. You spoke about that before, but you also mentioned that, you know, there, there have been times when you, you didn't feel this way. And I want to hear a bit about that, about how your life was before you really understood the body as deeply as you do today. Because, yeah. because I feel like for a lot of people, when they see you, like to me as well, and I, and I really mean this in a genuine way, I, I see you as like, wow, this guy's like just, you know, really understands the body, really understands the mind. And, it, and you're an expert, so you sound like an expert, but I know for a fact that you weren't born that way. And, and that's not how you've always been. And I'd love for people to hear about that journey around, tell me about a time when you didn't feel boundless, when you didn't yeah. feel as like, now it's like, you know how to turn this and you play with this and now it's an experiment and it's fun and you enjoy it. Tell us about when you kind of were like, did you ever feel broken health-wise? Did you ever feel like, Everything was yeah. just a mess. Were you ever in the place that most of my audience may be feeling like, where they're just like, Jay, I, I'm just struggling to get out of bed in the morning. Like, yeah. I don't f- sleep. Oh, my, I've got like, I'm bloated. I'm feeling gassy. Like, tell me about when you felt like you were at your worst as opposed to what we see now. There's three things that I want to tell you right now. Hmm. When I was a kid, 
I was homeschooled K through 12. The emphasis of my homeschooling was really more on a, a classical education centered around Latin and logic and rhetoric and the great books and tons of reading, which I loved. I would, my happy place was the library and my parents would have to take me out of the bedroom and almost like threaten me with punishment if I wouldn't come out and socialize with people because I just wanted to be in there with my books. I, I played the violin for 13 years. I was, I was president of the chess club. I loved to take about part computers, right, and, and design video games and, and you know, and, and figure out how my hard drive worked and, and was an early adopter of a lot of these technologies in a very geeky way. Uh, you know, prior to the advent of social media, et cetera, you know, when, when it was, you actually had to kind of have a, a working knowledge of some of these technologies. And I, I, I was, I was pretty much like a geeky little Christian homeschooled kid. I remember the stuff I got mad about when I was a kid was like when some kid would like quilt a doily at the, <laughs> at, at our homeschool talent competition and beat out my watercolor painting. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and so. <laughs> was it your mother and father that were both Oh, or was the homeschool like there was my, a group of kids and teachers? Both. And, we had right. a pretty good homeschool collective, so I didn't completely miss out on social life. Yeah, yeah. I was a weird kid in that I was very independently driven to learn, and mm -hmm. I am still that way now. Definitely. My parents would literally just give me books and walk away. They would literally give me the whole year's math curriculum and then just like make sure I took the tests. Yeah. My siblings were not the same and needed a lot more kind of handholding, but I've always been curious and driven from from an independent learning standpoint. Yeah. And it, it really wasn't until I discovered the sport of tennis that I became interested in physical culture at all. When I uh, uh, my my parents wanted to create a really cool uh, environment for all of us to grow up in, so one day. They announced that they were going to bring in some folks, and and we were all going to pitch in and and you know learn a little bit of construction and and lay asphalt and build a tennis court. So we built a tennis court, and uh, they hired a tennis instructor, and her name was Michelle. And I had a big crush on her, which helped with my motivation to play more tennis. But I also loved tennis, and I got really good at it, and it came really naturally to me. And I started to run up the hills behind my house, and my dad took me down to the local sporting goods store to buy little 10-pound dumbbells, and I started to figure out like you know, how to drink milk to get strong and the, the kind of things that made me faster and you know how to stay hydrated and water and minerals. And uh, I, I, I had a couple of mentors, a guy who was my, my younger brother's best friend's dad was a bodybuilder, so all of a sudden I'm learning about nutrition and working out from him. So you got into Another friend is a power lifter. So by the time I'm like 15, I was done with high school. So I'm like, you know, I don't want to go program computers or paint watercolor. Like I want to go learn more about this body and, and tennis. So I walked onto the local college tennis team when I was 15 and um, started playing tennis, started studying exercise science, got a master's degree in, in physiology and biomechanics and you know, wound up opening a whole bunch of personal training studios and gyms in Washington and Idaho and just have been hardcore in the health and fitness and nutrition scene ever since then. So initially, I really wasn't interested in much of this stuff at all. But at that point, I spent like 20 years competing in all these crazy hardcore, you know, obstacle course races and Ironman triathlons and open water swims and adventure races. That was my life for like 20 years was using my body as a guinea pig, using all these races and events as like a battlefield to test stuff out. I was coaching, I was competing, I was traveling. And um, 
I thought I was the bee's knees when it came to fitness. I would say that if you were to look at me and judge me through what our world considers to be fitness, which I think is a bastardized version of fitness, I was one of the fittest humans on the planet. Like, like I really did look good in spandex and could ride my bike really fast, you know, run up hills. And to reply to the meat of part of your question, it was about nine years ago or so when I really got into self-quantification testing of blood work, testing of biomarkers, uh, sleep, uh, nervous system, uh, you know, all these things that we can easily test now that you normally would have had to pay tens of thousands of dollars for, you know, the Princeton Longevity Institute or some executive facility, you know, only available to, to wealthy CEOs. We can now get all these tests in our own home. And I got super interested in this stuff and I started to get all these tests and I realized, oh crap, like I'm fit on the outside, but I'm dying on the inside high inflammation, low testosterone, dysregulated thyroid, gut inflammation and gut issues and constipation and brain fog and all these issues that technically somebody with like low body fat and muscles who can like run and lift weights, you wouldn't expect to have. Yeah, that's what but, yeah, but really true fitness is not about going to a little fake box at the beginning of the day and pushing, you know, fake heavy things around for an hour and then walking out and assuming that you're good to go and maybe kind of sort of eating healthy like a protein bar or Trader Joe's or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's so much more. There's there's so much more when it comes to the body. And that's what I began to discover. My, my first big book that I wrote called Beyond Training was just that. It was like, okay, so as an athlete, there's all these other things like digestion and hormones and endocrine system and inflammation and blood sugar regulation and immune system integrity and all these things that we don't think about when it comes to what it truly takes to have long health span and lifespan. And so what I discovered along the way was all of these things like not, I mean, men's health magazine or women's health magazine or whatever will tell you how to exercise and how to eat healthy. Okay. Maybe sometimes they miss the mark a little bit, but for the most part, it's not rocket science for somebody to go out there and figure out, okay, eat real whole food that's recognizable, that preferably is as close to earth as possible. And then like move your body, lift heavy stuff and occasionally breathe hard playing tennis or soccer, or high intensity interval training or whatever. Like we've kind of cracked the code on eating healthy and moving. And most people can find that information for free pretty readily. But what most people don't pay attention to are all the things that the body really truly needs to be optimized, to produce ATP, to produce energy. And, and, and this is a big part of what my, my last book boundless was about like, uh, light and how the photons of light interact with the human body to charge up the mitochondria to allow it to be able to produce ATP. The negative ions and the electricity produced by the planet Earth that dictate when you're outside barefoot or you're touching trees and rocks, you're soaking up all those negative ions and just restoring the 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 natural state of electricity the body the body which is like a battery is supposed to be in when you get exposed to stressors of heat or stressors of cold there there's enormous variants that that spring up in the human body like uh, like uh, like like uh, heat shock proteins and cold shock proteins and blood flow and nitric oxide. When you drink pure clean water that's chock full of minerals, right? Trace liquid minerals or sea salts or things like that, that carries that electrical charge through your body. And I, I began to realize, holy cow, I thought you're just supposed to like go to the gym <laughs> yeah. and eat a protein bar to be healthy. Yeah. But oh my gosh, it's like sunlight, it's magnetism, it's water, it's earth, it's heat, it's cold, it's it's positive relationships and love and gratitude and, and, and all these things that we just we forget about when it comes to being a full, complete human being. 
And so that was when the light bulb happened for me, when I realized I'm healthy on the outside, but I'm dying on the inside. And there's all sorts of avenues that this entire fitness world has yet to explore when it comes to what it truly means to have, you know, what I talk about in the book, you know, what I call boundless energy. Yeah. So number number one is, no, I didn't always like this stuff, but I gradually developed a love for it. And yeah. I think my curiosity, my independent drive to learn, and the fact that I was a real geek just tended to fuel my drive to learn a lot of these things about how people can really feel good. And then number two, I, after 20 years, realized my own mistake of just like beating up the body and expecting it to bounce back and thinking that was true fitness. And then finally see, and, and this is really... This is where I'm, where I'm really driving a lot of my platform, my teachings, what I, what I really want to focus probably for the rest of my life on is the fact that we can achieve all these things we've been talking about, Jay. Mm. You can sleep like a champ and you can have, you know, if it's important to you, whatever, six-pack abs or veins in your abs or, you know, be able to do a triathlon or an obstacle race or just like rule the CrossFit box or you know, anything else that might be important to you, have a full head of hair, defy aging, low wrinkles, like, like how many close to billion dollar industries have sprung up around us trying to optimize ourselves as human beings. And yet at the end of the day, because I see this over and over again, not only in having experienced this myself, but having seen this in many of like the wealthy and successful executives I coach and pro athletes I've worked with and, and people who appear on the outside to be crushing it in life. At the end of the day, none of this is fulfilling. Mm -hmm. None of this is ultimately fulfilling, mm -hmm. okay? Like I, I can literally be like pose on the cover of a magazine, whatever, you know, with, with, with girls draped off of each arm, you know, eating $100 steaks for dinner every night and experiencing, you know, what many people would, would, would covet as an amazing life. But I got news for you, I'm not happy in that state. And, and I've, I've, I've seen a lot of people also not be happy in that state because there is a yearning in our soul. There is a hole in our soul, right? There is, there is this deep longing for some kind of fulfillment that in my world, we throw fitness and a healthy diet and the way you look and the way you perform into other people will throw cars, throw money, throw sex, throw throw homes, throw experiences, throw anything else that seems like it might be that one thing that you finally discovered that's going to be the ultimate key to fulfillment, right? I finally about to cross the finish line of that Ironman triathlon. Oh boy, life's going to be different after this. It's going to be different. I've done it. And now I can just be on cruise control the rest of my life because I've checked that fulfillment box. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, none of that stuff is fulfilling because, and, and you know, I'm, I'm the people came before me who have identified this. This isn't new information that I came up with myself, but there is this, as, as you know, a great writer and theologian named Blaise Pascal would describe it as a, a God shaped hole in our hearts, eternity in our hearts. And the only thing that's going to fill an infinite abyss, an eternal abyss, a God shaped hole in your heart is God, is some type of fulfillment that's everlasting that's eternal and once i realized that and realized oh my gosh like i could train my body all day long but even though physical training is a little bit beneficial it's nothing compared to training for forever it's nothing compared to gratitude to relationships to 
sharing with others, to loving others, to volunteer, to service, to community, to, to, to worship, to having something greater outside of you and believing that a story is written for your life. And, and you know, now that I understand that all of these things that I've learned, all these fun little biohacks that we talk about at the end of the day are interesting, but not going to make you ultimately happy. Well, now, if you have been doing those things, if you are taking care of your body, right, and you do have a really good body and brain, you're biohacking, you're fit and you're healthy and you're eating well, man, when, when, when you put not what I would call the icing on the cake or the cherry on the cupcake, but really lay that on the core, yeah. on the foundation of a deeply meaningful spiritual life, then you're firing on all cylinders. And so I think that's what's really important for people to understand is, you know, the wool socks and the chili pad and, and the, the hyperbaric chamber at the end of the day. The, what you should view those as is you should view those as a way to equip yourself to be more impactful with the purpose that you've been given in life, not as your source of happiness. Ben, that was so powerful. And I, you know, the way you just shared that and the way you even talk about biohacking and mastering the body from the beginning of this interview, you can tell that it's to have these beautiful exchanges with your family, to have a meaningful dinner. And, yeah. you know, when I hear you talk about these things, like it resonates so deeply with me because what you just set up is exactly why we do need to do these things. Mm -hmm. Who wants to be at dinner with their family and be like, have brain fog and have confusion and be stressed out and just be looking forward to bedtime or to right. be spending time with their partner, but not having the energy to go on a beautiful walk or a hike or whatever it may be like. And that's the challenge we're having that our health is negatively impacting our relationships. Like for those of us who are experiencing fatigue, for those of us who are experiencing bloating, for those of us who are experiencing inflammation, that's leading to stress and agitation in your relationships. You think that you're just not getting along. It, it is. But you, you, you cannot disentangle yeah, the body and the spirit. And there completely. are some people that have taken this to uh, to extremes like yeah. if you look at at at, at the 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 gnostics right a, yeah. a very very popular religion about the same time that that christianity was rising you know in, in 50 60 70 ad they believed that all things fleshly and physical were evil and bad and that the only thing important was the spirit and that marriage was bad and that good food was bad and anything that even remotely reeked of epicureanism was, was bad and yeah. one should be stoic but stoic to the nth degree yeah. and the fact is that the body is sacred. Food is sacred. It's not just this physical, biological interaction with your taste buds. Sex is sacred. It's not just two bodies rubbing together in mutual masturbation. Uh, um, you know, fitness and even the movement of electrons through the body. You know, in traditional Chinese medicine, and you know, they they call that that the chi, the life force, the prana, the energy. In Western medicine, we call it the mitochondria. But it's the same thing. There's a deep spiritual aspect to that, and so we we are bodies with spirits, and the body must be treated as a temple that is to house the spirit. And the spirit must be treated as the one part of us that we care for the most because that's what's gonna go on for eternity. And that's what, what we, we really use as our deep fuel and our fire every day. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, in an ideal scenario, when you wake up in the morning, in addition to impacting this world fully with whatever purpose you've been given with your life in a spirit of loving others, you should also be asking yourself, how can I equip both my body and my spirit today 
to be as impactful as possible. And it's, and it's both, and you can have both. You don't have to be like a, yeah, you know, no, no offense, Jay, but like what, whatever, like a, a skinny yogi monk who's, you know, who, who can't hold up a heavy weight without their bones breaking. You also don't want to be an Adonis at the gym who just basically doesn't even know what a gratitude practice is or how yeah. to pray to God or anything like that. But human beings, we are, we are some of the most complex, if not the most complex creature on the face of the planet. Yeah. Maybe maybe a platypus or something might be up there. <laughs> kind of interesting, but we 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 have the ability to live our lives with this amazing body and an amazing spirit. And in my opinion, there's no reason that you can't have both. Yeah. And man, when you when you get into the, into that state of of literally having your cake and eating it too on the yeah. highest level, life is amazing. And everybody, everybody, every single person listening in right now has the capability to get to that level as long as they realize that most people around them have settled for status quo. And if you realize that you actually can rise above and you can train your spirit and you can train your body and all of this is is learnable, all of this is teachable, all of this is practicable and habit formationable, and I'm going to stop making up words now, but anybody has this within their power to be able to accomplish. Yeah, well said. No, and I feel the same way. You know, for years I focused extensively on the mind. I focused extensively on intention. I focused deeply on gratitude, service. And and that's where I spent most of my life because Mm -hmm. that's what I naturally gravitated towards. It's what my monk training was based on. It's what my heart was drawn to and everything you just shared. And, and I find myself now coming over to the other side right. and wanting to learn more about the body. Right. And so what you just said is it, it sits very closely with my heart because I grew up as someone who dived deep into the spirit and the mind and the heart and the soul, which has been the foundation of anything that I do today. But I have come backwards almost. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's backwards or forwards. I just think I've, I've come to that realization that my spirit can only do as much as my body. And it's crazy because as monks, the order of our priorities were meant to be health, sadhana, service. And so health is health, as you're saying it, your physical, your body, your temple health. Sadhana is your daily practices of gratitude, intention, prayer, and then seva or service is you then sharing that with the world. So the pyramid was meant to be that. Yeah. But some of us, including me, decided to skip that first one and do two and three. Yep. And I'm almost, you know, the reason why speaking to you is so powerful and some of the things that I've started experimenting with and playing with probably in the last couple of years uh, have, have been totally that direction of I now want to understand my body so that I can serve better, yep. so that I can serve for longer, so that I can yeah. have more it's, deep it's, loving exchanges. And that's, that's the goal, right? Yeah. When you come at it with love others, yeah. right? Not how do I look in the mirror? No, that was, or, and that's why I never focused on it. How fast can I run a mile? It, it's loving others, and in, in the very same way that the best businesses are not necessarily built on a monetary yeah. goal, yeah. but are built upon a goal of how many people can we serve, mm-hmm. how many people can we touch, how many lives can we affect, and the money will follow. Yes. I mean, for yes. me as as a business person, right? Like Same. I have to make a living and mm-hmm. I'm a content producer. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you, mm-hmm. like a lot of my business is driven by me educating people. Mm-hmm. And when I write an article or when I record a podcast or when I'm, you know, doing an Instagram post or whatever it is, 
I tell myself, okay, my goal, even if there is a, a product, a solution that's offered here as part of this post or this podcast or this story that someone can go buy, my goal is that someone finishes digesting this content, listening to this audio, reading this essay, looking at this post, and walks away a better person regardless of whether or not they actually purchase anything, yeah, right? They walk away, whatever, knowing more about the gut, knowing more about the hormones, knowing more about the brain, knowing more about gratitude, knowing more about whatever it is that, that I'm producing content about. And I tell you what, when, when I write in that way and I teach in that way and I produce content in that way, I don't have to worry about money. That just kind of follows, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, and honestly, it follows in a better way because you create a more hardcore audience that trusts what you have to say because you actually care about them. Yeah. And that's why you're getting out of bed in the morning. And so it should be the same way for yourself. When you go to the gym, and try this if you're listening in right now. If you go hit the gym tomorrow or you go out, you know, whatever your basement and you know, you're breathing hard and beating yourself up and doing your burpees or whatever the case may be, think about how you're equipping yourself to be impactful at work, to be present for your family, to have a lifespan and health span that enables you to be passing wisdom on to your great grandkids or your great great grandkids. That, that level of motivation that you experience when you're doing things to love others or arguably also doing things to equip yourself to, to just be able to more fully savor this amazing planet that we are on, all of a sudden, man, compared to like, what's the scale gonna say today? It's just a much, much, more empowering way to train for health. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. I couldn't agree more. Tell me, before we get to the final five questions of the interview, we're nearly at the end. I want to ask you, if someone, you, you very emphatically stated that anyone who's listening to this, anyone who's watching can do this, can have both. I'm with you, I agree with you, I'm aligned with you. Tell me about, you said earlier, you were saying, Jay, you know, I still work with a few people on coaching and you were sharing to me I should sleep between 63 and 65. That's going to be better for me than yeah. even 65 to 67. So much of this is habit change. You've created so many new habits in your life, experimented. For those of you who have not read Boundless, when you pick it up, what I love about the book is you break it down into tiny sections around explaining each part of the science, but then giving a practical thing that someone can do today. You have technology that if people want to adopt right. it, Habit change is a huge part of what you do. Where are people going wrong in their habit change? What have you seen through your extreme experimenting where habit change has actually worked for people? I would say what comes to mind for me first when you ask that question is um, a, a big, big part of it is, is relevance and understanding why you're doing something. When I was in high school, I really hated math and science. And when I got to college, I just became a standout in math and science because I had a teacher first year of college who made math relevant <coughs> by tying in a lot of wealth preservation and savings and investing components that made math super relevant to mm -hmm. me. And so at that point, I just developed this wonderful love for math and a habit of studying math because it was relevant and I knew why I was doing it. So understand for math and a habit of studying math because it was relevant and I knew why I was doing it. So understand why you're doing something. You know, I, I think that the importance of education when it comes to habit formation is is very important. Yeah. Um, the, another one that, that I, I rely upon on a daily basis for either stopping habits or making habits 
is making something as accessible and convenient as possible. Meaning that I am probably like from a fitness standpoint and a consistency of fitness standpoint, probably just about as fit as I've ever been in terms of true health and some of those parameters we were talking about earlier, because partially I really haven't had to leave my house to go to the gym and was kind of forced into that because of COVID. So everything I need is, I got to step over a kettlebell to walk into my gym. I got to like walk underneath a pull-up bar to go down the stairs in my house. I have to um, uh, basically like walk past a cold tub every day and, you know, and, and, you know, there, there's just healthy food strewn all about the house. The, this idea of surrounding yourself and making everything convenient down to the point where if you're going to go for a run in the morning, mm -hmm. having your running shoes and your shorts right there beside the bed. So there's very little cognitive resistance to starting. That would be the a second thing that I yeah. found to be really Love useful is, is making things convenient. I think the last one is for me personally, and I don't know if this is the way for everybody, but I like, especially when it comes to health habits, to be able to stack things. So anytime that I'm getting healthy, I'm also making myself a better person. For example, I really rarely listen to music when I'm working out. Mm -hmm. I, I view my workout as also a chance to for me to go to university, right? Yeah. So it's always podcasts, audiobooks. When the going gets really hard, and there's actually been some studies that have shown this to be a cool tactic, that's when the music goes on, like when you need it the last minute. So you're kind of like saving your brain to get to the point where it really, really needs the music, and it's not just kind of um, used to the music at that point and can actually push past. Um, you know, I, I do like the red light therapy and the grounding and the earthing mats and the essential oils and this special like water repair device called a nano V on my desk when, but I don't go in there and just do all that stuff and have it be unproductive time. Like that's the time when I bang out my first 45 minutes of emails for the day. So I always figure out a way to make something more palatable in terms of tying that habit into something. I mean, I even like I got out of the habit, you know, because I'm a big fan of reading scripture and reading the Bible every morning. And I I even found myself, and this happened a few months ago, I was sitting there reading my Bible. I'm like, why am I just sitting here reading the Bible? Aren't there other things that I could be doing? And you'd think that'd be distracting. Yeah. But now I read my Bible while I'm sitting in a pulsed electromagnetic field chair <laughs> with a biocharger on. And it's like, I'm still reading, but my body's kind of like getting better totally. at the same time. So I love to stack healthy habits. That. And it's, it's very rewarding when you stack them all and also figure out how to still be productive during the day. So it's not like you're having to rob Peter to pay Paul. It's like you're, you're paying Paul and Peter at the same time. So those are the top three things that come to mind. Be educate yourself about why you're doing what you're doing. Surround yourself with what you need to maintain positive habits while hiding the things that would cause you to form negative habits. And then um, basically stack habits and make the habit fun or meaningful mm -hmm. or productive so you don't feel like you're wasting time engaged yeah. in that habit. I love that. Ben Greenfield, everyone. Ben, that was amazing. I'm like, you need to come on for a part two, but we can't wait this long as we waited to do a part one. Well, you need yeah, to maybe share. we can go to some other longevity hotspot. I yeah. don't know. What, Okinawa would be interesting. That would be amazing. Have have sushi and purple I'm, potatoes. I haven't been, I've spent a lot of time in Japan. I used to race over there a lot and I've spoken wow. over there a couple of times, but I absolutely, I, I love the, I love the food. Um, I, depending on where I'm at, I like the culture. I would say probably one of my favorite places over there would be uh, Kyoto. Right. Just great, great touring, great yeah, walks. Yeah. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of sushi. Although now I, I, um, 
Now, I know we're trying to wrap up, but I'll finish here. I, <laughs> I've been making my own sushi. I found this fish service called Seatopia, and they deliver sashimi-grade fish to my house every week. Wow. And so it's kind of spoiled me. I literally just take out my sushi knife, cut it in strips, put it in a nori wrap with some sushi rice, a little mustard, you know, whatever I want to sprinkle on there. And so my sons and I make poke bowls and sushi <laughs> all the time now. Uh, but I, I do, I do enjoy a good, good, actual, legitimate yeah. Japanese sushi yeah. restaurant occasion. Of course. So, of course. Yeah. yeah. Amazing, man. Well, Ben, we end every episode with our final five, which are our All fast right. five. So answers have to be fast. one word to one word, one word to 10 words maximum for okay. each answer. All right. So Ten words have dashes. That's the most important part. Yeah. yeah. So the question number one is what is the worst health advice you've ever received? It would probably be, and I, I won't have a whole lot of time to explain this too much, yeah. but it would be eat a post-workout meal. Okay. We'll save that for part two. Save that for part two. Is that two. in Boundless? Do you talk about that in Boundless? I talk a little bit about that in okay. Boundless. Okay, in yeah. Boundless. All right, great. Question number two. What's the best health advice you've ever received or given or heard? Get out in the sunlight more. Mm. Charge yeah, I need better. to do that a lot more. I was talking to someone in my health life recently, and they were like, because of the color of my skin, I have to really be out there. So I'm a sun worshiper. I'm yeah, a sun I love eater. being out there, but I'm not out yeah. there enough, even though because of my skin. We so. have a giant battery in the sky and yeah. barely any of us use it. Yeah, love that. All right, uh, third question. What would you describe as your current purpose? To read and write, learn and teach, sing and speak, compete and create in full presence and selfless love to the glory of God. Beautiful, I love that. All right, question number four. Uh, what is the first thing you do in the morning and the last thing you do before you go to bed? I walk over to the sink and I scrape my tongue from the back to the front using a copper tongue scraping tool. Yeah. Ayurvedic. At yeah. the very end of the day? Yeah. Very end? Very, very last very thing? Very last thing. Yeah, very last thing. I put my arm around my wife and I say a prayer with her. That's beautiful. I love that, man. In bed. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. That's amazing. That's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we use... My wife say... Ayurvedic, uh, no, that's a whole you know what's so up. We do coconut oil, pulling, yeah, all that. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wife, that's her world. All right, fifth and final question. If you could create a law that everyone in the world had to follow, what would it be? Every day, write down the name of one person who you are going to help and then go help them on that day. Beautiful. I actually, I actually do that every morning. I love that. It's super meaningful. Well, thank you, Ben. Everyone who's been listening or watching, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Make sure you go and grab a copy of the book Boundless and Boundless Cookbook that's out as well. We'll put the links in all of our captions. Ben, thank you so much for doing this. I think you share, I mean, there are countless parts of this episode that I'm going to use in my own life. I'm going to go home and tell my wife straight away to switch us from 63 to 65. <laughs> now. That's going to change. Uh, we're going to be getting a few more changes in our bedroom, I think, based on this Your episode. bedroom's going to look like a nightclub now yeah, with all the literally. red lights. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So yep. thank you. And everyone who's been listening or watching, make sure you tag me and Ben on Instagram to let us know what resonated with you, what stuck out to you and what you're going to experiment with. That's my hope. My hope is that this episode gives you a whole new list of tools to experiment with and try out to see what works for you. Uh, and of course, Ben's books are a great guide. They truly are a guidebook and a map into some of the depths of all of this. We've just scratched the surface. If you want a foolproof plan of how to practice this, the Boundless book is going to help you do that. So Ben, thank you for being here. 
Thank you, Mr. Jay Shetty. (laughs) Thank you, man. If you want even more videos just like this one, make sure you subscribe and click on the boxes over here. I'm also excited to let you know that you can now get my book, Think Like a Monk, from thinklikeamonkbook.com. Check below in the description to make sure you order today.